Um, if you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been doing a series on Jonah. And the, what the message of Jonah is, is Jonah was put on a mission to look outside of himself, despite his personal feelings, and reach out to a nation that he did not like, the people he did not like, and also uh, he ran away from God in the process. So um, we've been doing three weeks of this. This is the last uh, part of that, part four. It's entitled, A Whole New Obedience. Uh, I, I talked about last week about evangelism is kind of is. It's kind of two awkward people talking to each other. You know, you, you ever get that experience when you're trying to invite someone to church? It's just, just an awkward feeling when they're complete strangers. And they feel just as awkward as you do. And we talked about God has already done the work. No one can come to God without God calling them to himself. So the work's been done. It's just a matter of us uh, opening our mouths, extending an invitation so they can truly uh, know and understand God. We invited the Moore Park House Church to campus last, uh, last, uh, last week to come and share their faith on campus. And uh, David, me, and Ha showed up. That was really cool. And they're ex-disciples. My earpiece is really not working here. It's dangling off my ear. So if I keep touching my ear, it's not, it's not, I'm not OCD. It's just my thing is not, uh, it's not working too well. Uh, maybe I'll switch it. Yeah, let me go across. I have these funny ears. I'm sorry. Okay, that's much better. So Dave Mann showed up. And I, 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 I remember that Dave Mann became Christians on the college campus. So it was like a flashback, you know, 20 years. And they, then with our campus ministry, we went and shared our faith for about an hour. And we must have met over like 30 to 40 people. Uh, got, uh, I don't know, so many phone numbers to follow up with. People were opening their hearts to us, opening the door to us. And it's just a fantastic opportunity. So I want to encourage all the family ministries to hook up at Channel Island and Camarillo. And just go share with the campus ministry for an hour on campus. It, it, it revitalizes your faith. These are students. And when I'm old, Older and I'm talking to a younger guy. I'm not as insecure talking to a younger guy when I'm older. It's a little awkward, but I'm not like worried about what he thinks about what I'm wearing. I'm not. I'm not worried about that. Twenty years ago, I was all worried about how's my teeth, how's my breath, how's my hair. Not worried anymore. Uh, and so, Jonah, the, the the main character of the account of the story uh, in the book of Jonah, he has a spiritual disease. It's a disease that most spiritual people can get. And in the final chapters, we're going to see. We're going to look at the effects of these, this, this spiritual disease that he had. Uh, if you don't consider yourself spiritual, you'll probably see some of these symptoms maybe in your life. So look in your Bibles in Jonah chapter 4. Remember, it's, in the, it's between Obadiah and Micah and near the book of Chewbacca. It's in that back part of the, the, in the middle part of the Bible. It's just kind of the Star Wars names. It's in there. In chapter 4 and verse 1, he'd already gone there and he preached in Nineveh. He said like a very eight-word sermon and Nineveh totally transformed. Everyone from the king on down repented, changed their ways. It was an amazing scene. And this is the reaction of Jonah. He's done God's will. He went to the city. He did it. And now we're going to look at his account. It displeased Jonah, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Do you hear that? He's justifying himself. He may have consented to obey God because he knows he can't fight God and win. But his heart is defiant. It's like a metal bar. You know, you, know, you have these metal bars sometimes at, at Home Depot. I can probably bend a bar if I leverage it against the house or something heavy. I can bend a metal bar. It'll take, it'll take some strength. It'll take some effort. But I can do it. And I can change my behavior and not change my heart. A lot of us hope we can do that. We'll, we'll do it begrudgingly, but our heart isn't changed. And that's the situation with Jonah. His behavior may have conformed, but his heart was still yet unmelted. You know, when you melt steel, it's moldable. You can make it into anything you want. And God was looking for his heart to be melted, and it was steel, and he was making himself do something because his heart was not into it. And he continues, For I knew that you are a gracious God. You're a merciful God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love and relenting from disaster. Oh, how awful is God? That's terrible. And if you're in Jonah's side, you're going, that's awful. How could God be so compassionate? Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. I love this. And he says, verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? In other words, Really, Jonah? You'd rather die? Here is Jonah's disease. Jonah is an idolater. He clings to worthless idols that forfeits the grace that could be his. That's what we said earlier. Jonah's idol is basically who he is. His racial identity. He is a Jew. He is a prophet. He loves his status as a prophet. He's a successful prophet. The nation of Israel is prosperous. Things are going well for him. And the Ninevites, they threaten that. So he hates them. They threaten to take the very thing he loves. And he does not like it. What's idolatry? It's when you build your identity, when it's built on something besides God. When you decide to build your identity on something other than God. You know, Marty Wooden and I were having a conversation about this very thing last week. You know, when you meet a policeman, what do they say? And and he's a disciple. I'm a policeman. I'm always on duty. I'm I'm always a cop. A fireman's always a fireman. When is he not a fireman? You always hear about the off-duty situations. An off-duty cop arrested this guy. He's always, if you ask him, are you a disciple or a cop? Most, sometimes they say, I'm, I'm a cop. And their identity rests on what they do, not on who they are before God. Where's your identity? Where, where does your identity lie? Are you an engineer? Are you a man of God? Is it based on what you do? Or is it based on who you are? Your identity. And we all have an identity. It, and it, sometimes what happens with identity, it begins to define us if we have the wrong identity. It just starts to define who we are. And when we lose that identity, we think we lose everything. And it's a dangerous place to be. 
You know, for me in high school, I, I gained my identity by, you know, I was athletic and I was short and but I was funny, and so I had friends, and I was, I was relatable, and it was cool, and my high school experience was awesome, and I knew a senior, and I was a freshman, he acknowledged me, and I was like, yes, yes, I'm a popular person, this is good for me, and my identity rested on that, but after high school ended, nobody cared about that stuff anymore, when you go to college, nobody cares who you are, what color your hair is, what band you like, nobody cares, you're cool, you're fine, you have your own group, you what you want, I was like, wait, where are all my friends, and so I struggled in college going, I don't have any friends here, and I struggled, because my identity was based on what I did, when you build your identity on something, anything other than, than how God feels about you, you become an idolater. Because your identity becomes the most important thing to you. And that's a very dangerous thing. Some other signs of that idolater is it's unforgiveness toward people who have hurt you or threatened you in those areas. Sometimes we can get full of self-pity. That people don't recognize our worth or how much we sacrifice for them. Or our peers don't see you and they don't value us. These things are all in Jonah. Because idolatry is when you desire something more than God. What I find, what, what I, if I find more happiness in, in being successful in my career versus knowing God, I'm an idolater. That's my identity is who I am. When you take more delight in being rich versus knowing God, you become an idolater. And Jonah finds more delight in the prosperity of Israel and the destruction of her enemies than he does about the heart of God in trying to reach people. He doesn't see that. He's terrified of losing what he has. What keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of? What makes you stare at the wall at night going, oh my gosh, if this happened? You know, the symptoms of idolatry are what you see in Jonah's life. You see worry, you see anger, you see jealousy, and you see unforgiveness. And believe it or not, these emotions are actually precious. They, help, they actually help you see into your own heart when you recognize them. You, see, you can see where your own heart is at. Idolatry, or idols, are things that we derive pleasure from more than God. And then we seek refuge in those pleasures. Some seek refuge in Netflix. People binge, and you laugh, but people binge in four seasons straight. They find their refuge with a bucket of popcorn and ice cream, and their phone is off, and they hang out there. It's it's like, I can't wait to get home and pleasure myself. I've done it. When Walking Dead comes on, I mean, it happens, man. It happens. I mean, it happens. You get caught up in the plot, and you're you're thinking about it all day, and what's he going to do, and what would I do, and... What if this guy was a zombie? I, you know, what do I, you know, could I kill a zombie? It's, it's all make-believe, but yet you're walking through the process on what you would really do if a zombie came back to life. It's not going to happen, but here I am daydreaming about what a zombie would look like. And how I would react if someone came back from the dead. How would I preach a sermon about that? That's just not going to happen, but you start to do these things. You fall off the cliff. I haven't fallen off yet, but please help me. Number two, Jonah is not just an idolater. Jonah is ignorant. He's ignorant of the grace of God. 
He's ignorant of that. Now, if Jonah's going to bring up compassion of God, he should probably not be resentful of it, but very grateful. Because what character has received great grace in this story? What character has received tremendous grace where God saved his life when he jumped off the ship? It was God. God has given Jonah tremendous grace. And yet he does not want to give it to the Ninevites. He does not want to do it. Isn't that amazing? He's ignorant. And Jonah is resentful because he doesn't see himself in the category of needing grace. When you feel you don't need grace, you become ignorant of God's grace. You become ignorant. When you realize, well, I need a lot of grace, you're, you're a pretty graceful person. You're pretty graceful. And when God commands you to be generous with others, we resist it. You may never say it, but we resist it. That's how you know. That's what gives you a good glimpse into your own heart. But when you see yourself as a recipient of grace, then God's compassion becomes very precious to you. The household in particular. The canvas household is indebted to you, Mary. Mary yeah. Like, wait, this is amazing. We love you. Okay? You got free child care for two years. <laughs> you want date nights? Talk to the campus. I bet you they would, they would not be like, oh, yes, how can I do? How can I help you? Now, if you didn't give them anything, they may question your motives. But, but, which is truer of you? When you see God bless someone that you see as unworthy and with the blessing you would like to have, how do you react? Are you like, God, why are they getting married and not me? Why are they getting the recognition and not me? It's at that moment, I hope you realize that you are out of touch with grace. Because the person who understands grace, or God's grace toward them, is amazed, not only that they see it in their own life, but they're amazed that it's seen in somebody else's life. They're going, wow, look at God's grace. That's amazing. And they're amazed by it. They're not like, why why, why, why does he get all the blessings? How's his walk with God? Oh gosh, God must not like me. No, he's amazed by it. That's amazing. Because I need grace too. If you think you're just, just a, you know, I just give my tithe and show up to church. And that does it. You don't understand salvation. Because Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. He was all in. It's like the pig or the chicken. Or the hen. Who's all in? The pig is all in. That's why I love bacon. <laughs> the hand is coming. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. One a day. Don't really give me much. It's the pig who's like, I'm all in. It's Jesus who goes, I'm all in. But I want to give you just a little portion. I just like to show up. Jonah probably probably saw a sin, and Nineveh sins in two different categories. The Ninevites, they're the adulterers. They're the worship idol, uh, idol worshipers. They're murderers. They're cruel. They skin people alive and they steal. And Jonah hadn't done that. But what had Jonah done? He told God to his face, no. They're bad. But Jonah goes, no to God. In fact, I'm saying no and I'm running. And he runs. Because he doesn't see it, and so he doesn't get grace, and so he's unwilling to give grace to the Ninevites. 
A spirit of unforgiveness and lack of generosity is the indication you are out of touch with the grace of God in your own life. And this is Jonah's spiritual disease. He is uh, idolatrous and he's ignorant. And after all this, he consents to do God's will. He's like, fine, I'll do it. Do anything to get out of this fish, right? I'll do it. And by Jonah chapter 4, he's no longer defiant of God's will. He's actually doing God's will. But with the wrong heart. And this is the picture of religious people. They're like, well, I don't want to go to hell or be in the belly of a fish, so I won't defy God. But that doesn't mean that you have to come to a delight or a joy in God or, or be a forgiving person. They go, I don't have to be that way as long as I just don't defy God on the outside. And God sees more than that. So in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what will become of the city. So he's waiting. He's hoping. You know what he might be hoping for? He hopes the repentance wears off. I'm going to watch to see if they really repent. I'm hoping. I mean, nothing would make me feel better if they don't make it. You know somebody like that? Who hopes you do terrible spiritually? It's like, hmm, I'm glad he's not doing well. I hope the repentance wears off so they can see God's wrath. In verse 6, that's, that's where Jonah's at. We know this because Jonah actually wrote the, he wrote the book of Jonah. So Jonah's writing this out. In verse 6, he gives you the full glimpse of where he's at. He's not pulling any punches on his self-reflection. In verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And this is the second time God asked Jonah if he has a right to be angry. The first was in verse 4, and Jonah has no response. This time he explodes back and says, I do have a right to be angry. You ever tell God that one time sometimes? Oh, oh yeah, we do that with God. And in verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God says, you're, you're all about the plant, Jonah. Nineveh is filled with people. People just like us. 
In fact, 120,000 of them who don't know the right from their left. And these are children we're talking about. So how does Jonah end? What's Jonah's response? What does the next verse say? There is no next verse. That's the end of the account. It ends right there. It ends with a question. Because the book is a, is a question for religious people like Jonah. It's for people that are religious. Who want to conform on the outside, but not be changed on the inside. Do you care? Do you care that more people are perishing than you do your own stuff? Stuff is temporary, like that plant. And on the scale of eternity, it's pretty meaningless. It's a question for you, it's a question for me. What do you most care about? What makes you the most upset? Do you shed tears for people that are lost? When was the last time you cried for lost people? We fasted last month to remind you there are souls here that are lost. Do you cry for them? Do you care about them? Or do you value your family schedule so much more than those who are lost? You've lost the heart of God. You've lost it. If you expect the campus ministry to grow the church, you are lost in your heart. They aren't just the only disciples here. Have you lost what it means to be a disciple, a Christian? Give everything. Sell everything. Have you lost that? Or do you sit back and say, let the young guys do it. It's their church anyway. It's your church. You're the kingdom. You're it. Reminds me of Romans chapter 9 when Paul says, I am in anguish every day. My concern for the church is for the lost, for people. How could we not care, right? How could we not weep? Why do we have so much passion for things that really don't matter at all and so little passion for the things that actually do matter? Why do we do that? Because number one, we're idolaters. Number two, we're ignorant of God's grace. That's what, that, that's what this, this story is about. It's to expose the idolatrous things in your life and to expose the ignorance that we have and we carry every day. It's the ignorance. We care more about what people think about us than have that awkward moment to share our faith. We care more about how we come across than actually do it. You know, there's one theme in Jonah, you know, because it's obviously, it's a literary type of, uh, of genre that, that's, that's written here. It's, it's, it says a lot, this great city. 
this great wind, this mighty tempest, exceedingly afraid. Uh, the men of, uh, uh, on the boat feared greatly the Lord. A great fish, a great city, an exceedingly great city in verse 3. Uh, even they put on sackcloth and ashes in verse 3. Uh, to the greatest of them to the least. That theme of great, great, great. Have you ever felt that mission? The weight of that? You had it once. Have you, have you lost the weight of the mission? Or what it feels like to go, man, I worry for people's salvation. Or do we only worry about, man, I just hope there's no traffic on Sunday. That's the wait in the morning. And I hope everything's going to be okay. Or there are people that are lost. And again, God's done the work already. He's already done the work. He's already been working on their hearts already. You don't have to, you know, sway him with your fancy arguments. Just say, hey, I'm here. Do you want to know God? Something You can stumble, fumble. You can say however you want. When people are open, they're open. Are you engaged? Is your heart and soul engaged in the mission of God? The divorce rate keeps rising. So everything looks okay, but ain't really okay. Keeps going up. The number of children who grow up believing in God is decreasing. 18 to 29 year olds is the, is the generation that least believe in God now. It is going to get worse with the next generation. So what does that mean for us? That means we've got a big mission ahead of us. That's what it means. That means our series Future Family... It's a great opportunity. If you're one of the disciples that can't share without an invitation, well, now you have one. <laughs> For a couple of weeks, we were on campus with no invitation, so we're like using our cell phones. I have a little trick. Say, can I get your number? Like, yeah, sure. And then I call it. Yeah. And it rings in his pocket. His phone's pretty, he sounds open. And then, I, oh, there's my number, by the way. But sometimes it's awkward doing that without you know, having to, I must have this piece of paper. Well, now we have the piece of paper. It has all the lessons on there. It even has like a little spiel. Hey, what are you aiming for in your family? What a great opening line. It's an opportunity, but is the mission on your heart. Let's be God's people. Does Jonah get it? I think he does. Because Jonah writes the account. And he leaves it on that cliffhanger. So Jonah wrote it. So Jonah looked at himself going, that's where I was at. So I think he got it. Here's the question. Do we get it? Do we get it? Several years later, the Ninevites come a-knocking in the northern kingdom and they destroy it. The next generation of Ninevites, they went back to their old ways and guess what they did? They went back and attacked Israel. After their king died and moved on, that next batch of leadership came and took the northern kingdom and stormed it in 722 B.C. They ripped your family from their homes and they brought you back to Nineveh. They tried to breed out the Israelites. And they made them slaves. Destroyed everything. That's what's out there. That's what Jonah's writing about. I think he gets it. Do we get it? Let's be 
God's people. Amen. To God be the glory. Thank you.